Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is Are These Books <laughs> Our inflections get higher and higher every week. I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month, we've been discussing three women. And chicas? I don't want to let these three courageous women go. I know. I know. I'm sure I'm not the only one that's grown attached to them. No. I can't believe how close we've become to their stories due to their vulnerability, bravery, and prowess. Maggie, Lena, and Sloan represent the varying female psyche in different stages of this game called life. Hmm. They open their souls to us, thus allowing us, three women, to share our many ghost stories. Yeah. Without Lisa Tadeo's desire to bring light to these crucial yet continual matters, some women will remain unheard and unseen. Mm. Be squared. And M's, <laughs> I hear you and see you, so Aww. let's do the damn thing. I am just as sad to close out this book that I've enjoyed so much. So, to honor the three brave women who shared their stories, and to honor the three of us gals who have really opened up over these last yeah. few episodes, <laughs> our cocktail pairing for today is called... Number three. Ooh. But let's make this threesome a foursome and bring oh in our God. resident bartender to share this recipe with us. Come on in, Ricardo. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah. Ricardo. <laughs> Ciao, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Hello. How are you? Great. How are you? Thanks. I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Good, good. She's so What are we sweet. drinking? Yeah, she's the best. <laughs> I just want the cocktail. I just want to know what we're drinking. <laughs> so the cocktail of today is called number three. Oh. And it's not made with three ingredients. So I don't even know why the name is number three, but I found it very appropriate because of the book. Yes. And because yes. you are three beautiful women. So, Aww. Uh, Such a charmer. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, recipe for this cocktail call for, calls for an ounce and a half of vodka, uh, half of an ounce of Aperol, an ounce of apple cider, prefer, preferably unfiltered, so not, not apple juice, like some dense apple cider, and half of an ounce of a lemon juice. We put all the ingredients in the shaker, we shake everything for at least 15 seconds, and we strain it over ice. As a garnish, we use an orange peel. Yeah. This drink goes down so easy. It's it dangerous. Does. It, it does. is dangerous. Especially if you don't do it with tequila. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, we're calling her up. Do you have any preferred um, spirits on this one? Aperol, for sure. <laughs> I am not a huge lover of vodka in general. Oh, Ricardo. I know. How dare you? If I have to choose one, I would definitely go for Grey Goose. Oh, oh I okay. actually did mine with Grey Goose. Good, good. What is it about Grey Goose? Uh, it's a very nice vodka. And okay. Unfortunately, it's, it's a French vodka, but you know, the, this. Damn it. This, 
huge, huge competition between Italians and French. In the French. Yeah, we are cousins, but we kind of hate each other. We love yeah. each other, but we hate each other. I so get that. so it's costing you a lot yeah. to say great yes. news right now. Yes, but okay. there's no Italian vodka that is good enough to be mentioned. So okay. go with oh, great news. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I appreciate the struggle. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. It's hard. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's a nice cocktail. It's fresh. Uh, I love everything that has apple and lemon juice. Actually, yeah, it's, same. It's very easy to drink. And it's not that sweet. No, no, Love it's it. just yeah. half of an ounce for the upper also. It's it's well balanced by the. It's actually depends a lot on the apple cider that you're using. Oh. The sweetness because an ounce of of the apple cider is like can potentially overpower everything in the drink. Sure. I think that we are using Trader Joe's apple cider. Okay. Um, so that's my recommendation. And other than that. Drink responsibly. Don't drive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. Well, we're not driving. You know, we, you know <laughs> no, we know will. You we're don't. all in closets. Very <laughs> much. <laughs> we're in padded closets, so we're as. So you can, can enjoy be. your drinks. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so cheers. As many of them as we want. Good. Yeah. So, alla vostra salute, ragazzi. Thank you, Grazie, Ricardo. Ricardo. <laughs> Bye. Ciao. Ciao. All right, women. Cheers! Salud! Hmm. I'm loving this. I, I was like, it's too. so quiet. <laughs> no, it goes really. down really easy. It does. Too easy. <laughs> that That's what happens with vodka. It's like anything that you mix it with. It. Mm. Yeah, Emma. That's what happens with vodka. <laughs> I don't understand <laughs> what you're saying. She knows what she did. <laughs> All right, y'all. This week, we reached the end. Aww. Lena knows that Aiden may not feel about her the same way she feels about him, but he sets her veins on fire, and that's something she can no longer live without. Aaron is cleared of all charges and reinstated at the school. And while Maggie goes on to become a behavioral health specialist working with young children, she seems to have lost her hunger. A little piece of her desire has been chipped away. Sloan gets a final confrontation from Jenny, during which she realizes that maybe someone does see her for who she is after all. I am desperate to start with Maggie. And this trial. The trial. And the first quote that I wrote down, I literally was laughing in the worst way. Because the first <laughs> quote I wrote down was, gripping a rosary, Aaron uh. Canodal takes the stand. And I was like, fucking seriously? And then, oh my God, this correction of Hoy. He, you know, Hoy is is talking to him about the students who are assigned to him. And Aaron says, I don't have an assigned number, but an assigned group of students. And I was like, hold on while I fucking vomit. I know. But wait, sick. before we get into that, we do have to call out, as you just did, we have been mispronouncing Aaron's right. last name. <laughs> not in <laughs> the not last no three Dale. episodes. So <laughs> right. we did just discover that it is Canodal. Canodal. So, sorry. Apologies. And now moving on. Let's okay, get yeah. the statutory rapist name correct. Yes, it's Canodal, <laughs> not Nodell. Mm. 
But then I also thought all of his very technical, very educated concern for his at-risk students and how to help them feel more connected. Bullshit. Oh, my God. It made me sick. I was like, okay, so here's a man then who knows exactly how to identify these students. He's Mm -hmm. educated on techniques for how to better serve those students. Mm. And instead of using that information to help her... He's using that information to take advantage of her mm-hmm. and probably will continue to do so with the golf forward. club. Yeah, with the golf club. <laughs> right. With those 15 young, vulnerable women that he's now going to be taking <sighs> advantage of. Yeah, where the book ends. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. What I thought was most haunting about that moment when when Lisa leaves us with that information that he's now the coach of the, the girls' golf club was that she says there are 15 of these girls. Some blonde ones, mm. some brunettes, and mm. a couple of redheads. redheads. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's just got his pick of mm-hmm. whoever he wants to do this to next. All those sly little comments that he makes in response to being questioned about hanging out with the female teachers. And he was like, oh, well, no, because, you know, I hung out with the guys. We talked about guy stuff, like getting oh, all the bros God. in the courtroom on his side. And it worked. Right. Mm-hmm. It totally worked. I never thought that it would. And it did. <laughs> It's well, and Lisa unnerving. also says she makes a note of, you know, in that moment, it's almost like he's also trying to represent to the jury, like, look how respectful I am right. of married women. And right. I'm a married man. So, like, we don't fraternize together because we're married. That was an eye roll, listeners. <laughs> that was an eye roll. You didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> in case you didn't get the tone of the eye roll, there was an eye roll. Well, speaking of married men, something that... Uh, got me really like I was boiling was Knodel's wife Marie oh. and how she behaved during this trial. I couldn't. Yep. Knowing that she is a parole and probations officer, which means she's pretty savvy mm-hmm. about criminal justice. Right. I couldn't help but judge and basically detest her when she was yep. on the stand under oath, manipulating the system so that her guilty and unbelievably despicable husband could roam free while continuing to damage, as I said, young, vulnerable girls. Yep. Well, since the three of us are not currently under oath and in a court of law, and I'm not hoy, Brandy. I know you (laughs) better (laughs) not be. I'll come for you. Now, here's a question for each of you. If you chicas were put on the stand... To testify on your husband's behalf, would you do everything in your power to trick the system to benefit him and your family, knowing that he could potentially be a serial offender just to basically keep face? For me, I think it would depend on what the crime was, which sounds terrible because I feel like my answer should just be no, I would not lie under oath. (laughs) (laughs) But, oh, it is, that is a really tricky question, Mariana. Wow. It also, okay, this is complicated because I think it also depends on if I really thought that he was guilty or not. If I thought that maybe that he was wrongfully, well, I guess that that doesn't really answer your question because if he was wrongfully accused, then obviously I would do anything in my power to make sure. But do you mean like if I knew that he committed a crime? Yeah, if, if I he knew, knew he did something really that shitty. he would be an ongoing offender, if you knew that he committed the crime, if it, you <sighs> were doing it just to benefit your family and to also keep face, because we're also talking about how society plays such a huge, huge part in this novel for each of the women. And a lot of the women and these three women are doing a lot of things for or against society. 
So I feel right. like Marie and in to a save sense, face. It's like to save said. face. Mm. Exactly. So I guess if it were something like he were doing grand theft auto or larceny to provide for our family or something, I maybe I would lie to protect him. But if it were something as serious as this situation, I don't see how in my right mind I could try to protect him. Also because I don't know how I would, in my right mind, know that that could be affecting young women forever and ever Mm. as long as he were alive. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is such a hard thing to say, but I think it depends on the crime. Yeah. I mean, I think my answer is really similar. I think for me, I would have to weigh, if I knew that it was something he had done, I think for me, I would have to weigh how much it affected other people. Right. You Mm. know, did he murder somebody and now there's a grieving family left behind with no answers? That's Mm. horrifying. Mm. Is he a serial offender like this, you know, like canodal over here? Like not acceptable. Like there's just no freaking way. You know what I mean? So I, I sort of agree with Emma where it's like I would have to know what it is. I think the key in what you said, Mariana, is serial offender Mm -hmm. meaning this is going to be an ongoing ongoing. thing am i willing to protect somebody forever when this is going to continue to happen over and over and over again i don't think so but see that's tricky too because how do you know that that this is going to continue happening like what for somebody like this guy you know this is going to continue to happen you think i don't know maybe that's me giving him And you're a teacher. You're put in that position every single day where you're in front of these impressionable children where you're dangling a carrot and someone will take it. One of the girls or boys will take it. Maybe this just shows that I'm too trusting. But part of me is like, well, what if he learns his lesson from this and he never would do it again? He's still somebody who fucked around with a child. That's. Yeah. mm -mm, No, I don't think I could get past that. And the thing is, the way he is with Marie, he's manipulating the system, knowing that she knows very well, like, how to not testify in a deposition. Because if she does, then then thing, words will be used against her in a court of law. And she was able to trick the system in that regard. So she knows that there's a lot going on behind this guy. Like when she said that she never went away, but apparently she was away and how he, that's right. why Maggie was able to enter their home. Because yeah, she was I wasn't away really weekend. confused about all those holes. And I just didn't believe her. All of these late night calls. I'm sorry. Your husband is on the phone after 10 p.m. with a female right. student over and women 20 always calls. know. Right. Women yeah. always know. I mean, several of those calls were hours long. One of them, at least one of them, went till 3.30 in the morning. Like, no, you knew something was going on. Right. The, the prosecutor, John Byers, says he says that he doesn't think he has ever had a four-hour conversation with his own wife and right. asks the members of the jury in his closing argument to consider their own histories of four-hour phone calls. Who have you ever had a phone hour phone what call with? What are you talking about? I mean, I definitely about? have, but with people but I with was somebody with? romantic with. Right. Yeah. What about you, Mariana? It is a very tricky question. I think the element, like I mentioned before, about society having such a huge, being such a huge factor in their lives, because not only is, if he is considered guilty, if he is basically, he's guilty, 
Marie and her family are going to be dealing with ridicule for the rest of their lives. So I think selfishly, she's also thinking about herself and she's thinking about her children and how Mm -hmm. that's going to affect their lives from here on out. So I can see there's a little part of me that I can see why selfishly she's also thinking about herself. But knowing, like Brandy said, that he is damaging these kids' lives, I don't know if I could ever be a part of that. That if I can go to that place of saying, yeah, my husband is not guilty of something that happened in my own home where it could have potentially happened to my own children if my own children had been with a teacher. Like, it just, I can't. Yeah, and we don't know the genders of their children, do we? Do we know if they have daughters? I don't think so, but that's, I mean, I was just going to say it doesn't matter, but it is, it is different if you have daughters knowing that, like, if what you're doing to a woman, if that could have been your daughter, that, that does add an extra element of things. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing too, if she knows that he has been doing this, she, he, he's been doing this also against her. Like, wouldn't you feel some hurt and pain? Wouldn't you be like, well, then I'm not enough. You have to like then go back to your high school days because you want to be with a girl because I can't give you the satisfaction that you ultimately desire. Yeah, that's I don't know how you would stay with someone knowing knowing all of that. The only thing I could think of is like. Is it possible that she is deluding herself? Is it possible that he's told her so many reasons why mm. Maggie's lying? Is it possible she actually believes him? Or that she's buried it, like she doesn't want to believe it, and she has buried it the way so that all right. these other women mm. in the story exactly. have buried their painful memories. Like they've exactly. just decided that it's not true because they don't want to believe it. Yeah, I think it. that's a possibility. Right. Like I think there's another version of Three Women where we get Marie's story where she's wronged Completely. by mm. her husband and this crazy thing happened to her and we get her side of the story. Because her verbiage in which she answers the questions about the handwriting in the journal where she's like, I don't recall that that's a flourish of his. The way that she answered right. it just it's not. Feels... I wouldn't say it's particularly characteristic of mm-hmm. his right. writing. It's not an absolutely not. It's, well, you know, I don't. It's tiptoeing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Which I, I have to say, I was shocked that it. That handwriting samples weren't provided sooner. Like, how did handwriting samples take so long to come into the picture? That's hard evidence. Exactly. Same with the text messages. How they were like, oh, well, they couldn't they couldn't procure the text messages because they just happened too long ago. And I was like, is that really a thing? It is a thing. Really? Mm. I know situations where text messages like months, months have gone by and they can't access those text messages. That sucks. Because that would have been really good hard evidence. It would have been. Yeah. It's kind of shocking to me, I have to say. And of course, this was years ago. If this happened now, better watch out, Aaron Knodel. I'm surprised (laughs) Maggie didn't screenshot any of those because, you know, sometimes... I know that in my, like, maybe younger days, if you get a love note from somebody or something that you just want, you save that. I'm shocked she didn't take photos of those texts. You save it. That's so funny that you say that because I was cleaning out my storage room the other day and I found... What oh, did you find? I found... Mary Cherry Poppins. <laughs> it's out of your storage room. <laughs> oh, sorry. 
<laughs> I found emails that I had printed from my boyfriend when I was 14. It was our oh AOL addresses. It was oh like addressed to Eminem123 at AOL.com. They weren't glamorous emails. It was a breakup email and it was nasty and he was not kind to me. And I still printed them and kept them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you exactly. keep everything. That's true. But you know what <laughs> else is really interesting to me, which um, which is very fitting for this book? One of the emails I had printed was from a friend of mine in high school who knew this guy that I had dated. And it was an email that my friend had sent to my ex-boyfriend yelling at him about how he shouldn't have been unfaithful to me with my <gasps> best friend. And like, well, what did you think? Of course she would break up with you. Like you couldn't even be faithful to her. I swear to God, you guys, I forgot about that. I <laughs> oh I buried God. that. Uh -huh. I completely Hilarious. forgot that that had happened mm. until I saw the email. And I was like, oh, we do, we do bury things. Oh, yeah. It's kind of scary the way it is scary. Mm -hmm. can hide things even from themselves mm -hmm. and then to they protect come yourself. screaming back at you any mm -hmm. little thing could trigger them and they come flooding back what broke my heart though at the end of maggie's chapter she says how hoy could know the psyche of a teenage girl mm -hmm. and she goes on to say we remember what we can't forget mm -hmm. yeah so for her this is something that she will never be able to forget. It's too much for her to be able to bury it down, deep down inside where she like can lose herself in that. She can't. And I think that's one of the things that really bothers me about the psychology of people who say like, well, should this man be expected to lose everything he's worked for his entire life over this, over some accusations from some girl? And I'm like, well, yeah. she's going to lose her entire, she will lose her life over this. She'll, yeah. she'll lose decades of her life for this. Where she's just going to be dealing with it and trying to get over it and she won't be able to. And her life will be forever changed because of what he's done to her. Because it's like then the whole society, the town, the, they're all against her. They oh all see God. him as this decorated, respected, loved man. Mm -hmm. And they yeah. see her as a liar. Mm -hmm. That all she's doing is she wants money. She wants the attention or she just wants something out of this. And this was something that fell out of Lena's story, we stopped hearing about it. But you remember towards the beginning of our Lena chapters, she was talking about how her body really hurt, like her joints and her, mm, yeah, her yeah, yeah. everything just ached. And her therapist was like, well, that's trauma in your body that's just yeah. kind of yeah. in there, which um, I've been doing some breath work with this mm. amazing woman named Jessie. She teaches this method where you, it's, you just lay on your back and it, you literally just breathe. Yeah. But the specific type of breath work it releases trauma that's stored in your body and it is amazing what comes out and often i don't even know what that trauma is but yeah. i know from the release that it was there even if i can't tell you a specific moment that it relates to we all have that and it does it lives in your body and manifests like it did with lena and and like it will forever as we're saying with maggie you know mm -hmm. she says that she's never gonna she's never she's never gonna be the same no, and that's devastating. Mm -hmm. It's funny that you talk about breathwork because I remember being in college and, you know, in voice class, as you do as an actor. At one point, I had a teacher 
and the assistant who had laid me down, it was Fitzmaurice work. And so they had laid me down to kind of demonstrate something to everybody else in the class. And I was tremoring. And then one of them literally, one of them was holding Mm -hmm. me down by the shoulders. The other one dug her fingers under my rib cage as I was vocalizing. Mm. And y'all, the sounds that I was making Mm. sounded like a wounded animal. Like I could see my fellow students' faces and they were Mm. agonized Mm. for me, the sounds Mm. that I was making. And I remember the whole thing being over and me feeling mortified, but also feeling so much better. And my teacher just looking at me and saying, there's a lot of protection there. You're going to really need to work on that. Wow. And yeah, you just realize like how much stuff you have no idea what it is maybe, mm. but there's a lot of shit that just gets stored in your body and it affects you. It changes it affects- who you are. It yeah. changes how you react to life, Completely. to people, to everything. How you speak. Yeah. 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 How you breathe. How you breathe. Literally. <laughs> Everyone should go into voice class just to get that oh, release. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <sighs> Speaking of wounded animal, I love a quote Sloan says, all women turn into animals at a certain point. Wow. Mm. Sloan knew when they most need to. What did you make of that quote? Well, I mean, I totally understood that. It made me think of a time I was at a Trump protest mm. in 2016 outside of Trump Tower, and I was with my friend, a girlfriend of mine, and this guy was causing shit, and he caused—he called her a C-U-N-T. And something, like, it started, like, in the depths of, like, my bowels Mm -hmm. and just, like, moved up, and all of a sudden I felt like this, like, mama cub protecting Mm -hmm. her baby, and I just went off on him It like I was a protective lioness. And so I think that's that that's how I connected to that. And I loved mm-hmm. that. I think that's true. And I, but I think it is interesting that it's all women turn into animals. Yeah. Not all humans turn into animals. Yeah. I totally I totally understood it. I think what what I questioned about it was she doesn't in that moment, I don't think, become that animal. It seems mm. like she feels it rising in her. And I have to say, I was almost waiting for, I almost felt a Wallace moment coming on from from mm. real life where he's sitting at that table and he calls out the cheater in front of everybody, totally against his nature. You know what I mean? But it's this just crazy moment where he just can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. He can't take the pretense. And I felt a moment like that from Sloan building and coming when she said that. And then it didn't. And I wasn't sure what happened. The thing is with Sloane, which I can very much relate to, there's like this internal, like she she has this caliber. She has this like thing of she's always going, trying to figure out what is the best decision to make or what is the next best move to make. And she's constantly going back and forth. And if she goes too far one way, she's like, oh, I hate that I'm doing that. But then she looks back and she's like, I hate that I hate that I'm doing that. Like it's just this constant like battle back and forth internally of how far she could go because she's Mm. always trying to showcase herself in the best light because Mm. that's what she's been doing as since she was a kid like she's always like she was set up for success like all she wanted was just to be this 
woman in front of everyone, but she's constantly battling internally of like, what yeah. is the best, where, it, what's the best path to take and what is the best choice to make? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's what held her in. That's what held her back. The The quote that broke my heart in that moment when she's, when the kids are asking her about that car accident is she says, little girls, there are men and also women who are not supposed to betray you, but they will. Mm. And she doesn't say it out loud, but it's what she's thinking as she's talking to her brother's mm. children. And it broke my heart. And then at the same time, I totally, I totally understood it. And I just, I felt, I felt for her so hard because I just felt like she really has never had an older person that she trusted. I feel like Mm. with her parents, she never had that. They've always been a little cold. Yeah, her mom and her her relationship with her mom is complicated. Right. For her own, for her mom's reasons, like, which I totally I totally understand why her mom has ended up the way that she is. Right. But then also this brother moment, which is weird. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that she buried. She forgot about that. But she that's where literally her, their relationship changed. And interestingly, again, it seemed like she had buried it because she, in her mind and in what she had presented to us sort of in this book, was that her relationship with him had started to deteriorate at this party. Right. Which we talked about in an earlier episode. We did. And then suddenly this memory comes screaming back to her and she realizes, no, it's this moment when I was eight years old and this horrible thing happened that our relationship started to deteriorate. And it wasn't my fault. It was his Mm, fault. It was his fault. And interestingly, too, in sort of a mirror moment with Lena, Sloane says that in that moment when Gabe comes into her room at night and asks her if she wants to mess around... She says no casually because she doesn't want him to feel weird and because she doesn't want him to not like Like her her. anymore. And I just heard Lena come screaming back from all those pages ago Mm -hmm. when she had rationalized her own rape Mm -hmm. in that way by Mm -hmm. saying, I just didn't want them to not like me. Oh, this fucking book. Now that we're talking about Lena, one of the saddest moments for me was when she had been hooking up with Aiden in the car and then she offers she gives him the cigarette and then she's like oh it'll be six bucks and she was kidding and then he hands her the five and the one it just felt like a guy paying for a prostitute. prostitute the way that she handled it it was just so embarrassing and like she didn't want him to know that she she didn't want him to think that she had kept it and she left right. it on the road. It just felt like such a mirroring of a guy like, thank you for your service. Oh, yeah. it's terrible. It was grimy. One quote that I want to read to you guys about Lena's situation when she's in the middle of that, when they're having pretty much their like last hookup in the car. She goes on and says, in the middle of this tenderness, she shivers because she knows the truth even is... <laughs> This drink is strong. In the middle of this tenderness, she shivers because she knows the truth even as she tries to shut it out. He is terrible to her. Mm. It's not that he is outwardly cruel, but that he almost never considers her heart. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's selfish. But it takes her a very long time to realize that. And she realizes that in the most tender of moments. 
I also feel like she doesn't care, though. I feel like she's okay with it in a way because she's still getting what she needs from it. And I think, think? I don't think she's getting everything she needs and I don't think she'll do it forever. But I think in this moment, as she's just separated from her husband, she needs to feel desired Mm -hmm. and she needs to feel attractive and she needs to feel attractive to someone who she finds attractive. Mm. So I think when she said, you know, like he sets my veins on fire, I was like, yeah, like she just needs to feel passion. I feel like her whole life has been devoid of that ever since what happened to her when she was a teenager. She's never really known what it's like to like live life to its fullest. And I feel like at the very least, that's what she's getting right now. I get that. I get that. And I see that. And I think you are right. It's just like those those little details that she still throws in that just feel so sad and pathetic at the end of they every meeting pathetic. makes me feel like she still is really yeah. lonely and like still just needing more than just the sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and everything that she does just to meet up with him. Well, that's you right. know, she, we start these chapters and she's in that hotel room, which she like checked into before she even knew if he would meet her. But she just kind of knew, like, if I have a hotel room, it's more likely that he'll meet me. She waits for him the whole night. She sends him naughty picture after naughty picture, trying to appease his every whim. And he still never shows up. He just stops texting her. And she'll even plead with him in text messages, like, please meet up with me. That's why for me, I feel like she, it's a really sad time for her because she's longing and she's like holding on to this rope where she's like pretty much dangling and he's completely in control. She keeps saying that she's playing these games with him, but he is the one that is either going to respond, is either going to react, is going to go like, but he has the power. Always. He's always have, he's always had the power. And for me, that's really sad for her to not until towards the end of the book where we like last really much like have an interaction with Lena is when she has that realization that she needs to move on from him, that he's never going to be what she wants him to be for her. Have either of you seen The Affair? Yes. I just started watching it. <gasps> oh, I'm so I mentioned that it's one of you. my favorite shows. I can't believe you just started watching it. It's I know. So I know. It's I know. so good. Every time I read Lena's stories, the affair just is like, it's just like the parallels for that. Mm -hmm. I just see so much, so many comparisons in their stories. And for me, the affair is really, really hard to watch because typically when you see stories of, of couples having affairs, there's something obviously really wrong with the married couple that leads them to look outside of their marriage for something else. I think why this show is so smart is that they've set up, you know, like an Ed and Lena situation. Like in that situation, that makes sense why Lena is looking outside of her marriage for something else, obviously. But in the affair, it seems like they have a really like there's they have a very healthy sex life. They really make that clear from the beginning. Like we have four kids and we're still having sex like every day. So, you know, we assume that it's not like a physical thing. Right. And then that's what's so scary is what is that? There is still this magnetic connection between those two, between Allison right. and Noah, Noah, 
that I don't even know if they can really explain. And it feels like that's what's happening with Lena and Aiden. Even though they do have a past connection, Mm -hmm. it just feels like, and again, even though we're not getting that from Aiden's side, there is this like animalistic, magnetic, fiery passion that you just can't explain and you're willing to do anything. Anything. And I'm going to actually quote the affair instead of three women, but... Something that something that Allison said in one of the episodes was, I don't believe there are good people and bad people. I think we're all just doing our best to get by. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when I heard that, I started thinking about three women. So I feel like between this book <laughs> yeah. and the affair, I'm just thinking like sex, cheating. But I think that quote could completely... That could be like the opening quote in the three women book. Mm, I just yeah. think all of these women, mm-hmm. and here we are like making judgments on a lot of what them are doing, or totally. not even judgments, but we are We're questioning a lot of their apart. choices. Yeah. And I really just think at the core of all of them, they are all just doing their best to get by. And yep. I think that is the heart of this story. I agree. Because when the book ended, I know we're not there. We still have a lot of other things to talk about. But when this book ended, I kind of thought to myself, okay, well, there's no closure on any of them, really. Like, everything is still really open-ended. It just feels like this is, yes, it's just a vicious cycle. It's just all going to keep happening, which is why this book is so heartbreaking to me is because this is just life and we're all just trying to survive yeah and if each of us put ourselves in lena's shoes and had this past relationship and this current obsession with a man that like you said emma that we would do anything to just have that one moment again that one passionate Mm -hmm. like 30 minutes of just like animalistic raw like desire and that everything Mm. is just exactly where you want it to be you would do anything for it. So I'm not judging her at all for going for it because she did. Because she, like you right. said, Brandy, she needed it at the time. And she reached out to Aiden and she made it happen. What's sad is that it's not reciprocated. That's what's mm. really hard for me to digest because I just wish, like I said last episode, I just wish that Aiden would be that for her. That would feel Even that void. He- even though he did say I love you, I he know. did. It's still so baffling. So by it's that. like uh, maybe. I don't think so. I, I think, think he so maybe either. was caught up in the moment or yeah. something. Well, like the know. affair, it would be so amazing if, like, each of these chapters, we got the side. <laughs> you would get the perspective from we got the, flip the opposing side. person. Yes, I think the thing about Lena is that I'm not sure she's as crazy about Aiden as she thinks she is. I think what Lena is crazy about is who she is when she's mm. with Aiden. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. and I think that while it might seem a little bit pathetic the way she pursues him I think what she's actually in pursuit of is herself Mm -hmm. and I think that through this relationship which has enabled her to leave her shitty marriage Mm. Mm -hmm. she's ultimately finding herself and I think I think she will either walk away from this knowing what she's worth and knowing what she wants and she'll find somebody who's willing to give her that Mm. or I think Aiden is going to have to step the fuck up if he wants to stick around because I think she's going to come to a point where she's not going to put up with that for too long before she finds somebody else who will give her that. So I think that's what I love about Lena's story is that it's her slowly coming into her own power. Mm -hmm. But I have no question that she's going to get there. 
This is just that sloppy transition that none of us like to be seen in when we're growing. Yeah, that's well said. Very much so. Going back into Sloan, because I think now we're moving into Sloan's world again. This chapter. (laughs) I think we say that about every chapter. We do. We do. I think we do. You're right. So much going on. This one was rough. Yeah. I mean, all of this was very telling mm-hmm. and uh, important and dramatic. Mm-hmm. But for me, the part that resonated the most with me was the list that she goes down of the things yeah. that she thinks when she's looking out the window. This comes out of her saying, well, I can never tell Jenny any of this. The remembrance of the things that she has to do, like her her tasks. Yeah. Some days, if I simply remember to order more toilet paper or cat litter, (laughs) I feel accomplished and that I'm doing well for the day. And I'm like, good on me. Like, it really can just be the simplest things because I sometimes feel so overwhelmed by all the things I have to do that if I can cross off the most menial things, I give myself a pat on the back. Mm -hmm. All I have to do is reply to someone's email and I'm like, yes, I'm I'm doing great today. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I wonder for the two of you how you two manage your lengthy mental to-do list, because I know you both have them as well. Mm. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by it all and just shut down? How do you deal with the day-to-day hustle? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by drinking cocktails and making a podcast. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> My daily bottle of wine. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, It's funny because my parents, they they tend to call me the energizer bunny because from an outsider perspective, I keep going and going and it looks like I'm multitasking and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, Uh and I'm not necessarily like patting myself on the back every time I like check something off. I'm just like, I'm going. Because I feel like right. if I allow, allow this amount of time for this specific thing and I get it done, then I move on to the next, to the next. The problem is that even though I'm very good at keeping a mental tab as to what I'm fulfilling every second of the day, I do get overwhelmed regardless. Regardless yes. how many things, boxes I check off, I always feel like there's even more that I didn't get to. And that becomes overwhelming and I do get to a point where I do shut down. And that is something that I fight against. And one of the things that I have learned as of late, and I think I've mentioned this before in some other episode, my dad has always said that you always have to have a balance in life, that the trick to life is balancing your life. And Mm. I think he means it more about because he's also a workaholic. He wants to keep working until he's like 95. He's the type of person that cannot. He needs to be active. Yeah. Yeah. Same with my parents. How you stay healthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for him, it's like the balance between work life and play life. And I think I've been I've now been able to give myself the opportunity to work as much as I need to. But then I have to balance it off with have the same amount of playtime and Mm -hmm. work hard, play hard. Yeah. And (laughs) and for me, playtime could be as simple as like going out with Andrew for a to dinner like we love doing that or going Mm -hmm. out for drinks and just having a conversation just being out in the world and forgetting about all the tasks that need to get done I think Mm -hmm. being surrounded by people by a lively environment just breathing fresh air is what takes away all that it's like an escape 
So how um, are you doing that in a pandemic when we can't go out? Oh, Has it been harder for you? Well, you know what? I think the safe haven for us was when we had Central Park, except for the first two months, mm, because yeah. it was there that we could just mm-hmm. walk outside. You could still have the energy of people. Yeah. yeah. And then now being... And be in nature. And be in nature. And then mm. just... Or simply going and getting a drink to go. Just having that moment of like, Something. this is my time. This is me time. Yeah. And I'm going to... Forget about everything else that I need to get done. And if I don't do that, then forget it. The shutdown will be shut <laughs> be shut down for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think this is an obnoxious answer, and I'm so sorry. But I don't need playtime. Like, I think mm. for me, work time is playtime. Like, any time huh. that I get to be working, I'm like, this is all I want to be doing. Yeah. So and I'm I'm also like you, Mariana, I'm really good at keeping a mental checklist in my mind of what needs to happen today. I think what starts to get really tricky for me and where I start to kind of shut down mm. is when it's mostly housework stuff mm. where like there's I know we need groceries. I don't like to go to the grocery store every fucking day. Who wants to do that? I want a week's worth of groceries in the fridge. I want some cleaning to happen every day some days I can't do it when I can't do it and I notice things that need to get cleaned I start to lose my Mm. mind especially when (laughs) my husband who is in college right now so he's very busy as well but like he is somebody who needs downtime so when I'm all stressed out and I see him having downtime oh and and I see things that need to get done I get a little bit like what the fuck is going on right now? <laughs> right, right, Let right. The battle begin. And You're playing a video game right now? Right. Oh, which I the love to let him do. Of course. And I don't like to be a nag, but at the same time, there are things that need to happen. And sure. while normally I'm able to do all of those things, when I can't, they still need to happen. And what drives me, I so identified with Sloan on this because what drives me the most crazy in the world is when... I'm like, things need to get cleaned. And he's like, well, like what? Like, tell me what needs to get cleaned. I'm happy to do it. Just tell me what needs to happen. And I'm like, I should not need to tell you what needs to happen. We live in this house together. Like, can't you see what's dirty? Can't you see we don't have grocery? And he somehow just doesn't. I don't know if it's a personality difference or if it's a male-female thing. He tries to say it's a male-female thing. He'll be like, well, no, guys just don't think that way. you would hate living with me. Exactly. Like, I don't think it's a male-female thing, but I do think that sometimes men are brought up differently in what's expected of them. Mm -hmm. I was brought up to have a checklist in Mm -hmm. my mind. I was brought up to know things needed to get cleaned. Mm. That was ingrained in me at a very young age. And I think sometimes men don't have that. Mm -hmm. It's not an excuse, but, like, it's that's when my mental breakdown starts to (laughs) happen. happen is when I have to tell you what needs to happen yeah. and I'm like no 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 <laughs> you should know <laughs> yeah it's interesting because Colombians have a saying and I don't know and it might translate into English but pretty much that las mujeres en la familia son el cuello yeah. los hombres son la cabeza which means that the women in in the household are the neck and the men are the head because oh, you like in my big fat Greek like wedding. Like in my big yes. fat Greek wedding. Yeah, yeah I, I forget about. That. That. I love that fucking movie. But me too. Yeah, you can't move your head without your neck. Your neck, neck is the one that basically. So we are the ones because maybe that's how we're trained from the get go. We are the ones that have to direct right. the men to tell them exactly what needs to get done, what direction they need to move. 
which I fucking hate hey. and refuse to, and I refuse to accept it. I'm like, no, listen, it's going to be a long life. I, I will retrain that. your ass. Yeah. Like, we're going to get right. there. Right. <laughs> what about you, Emma? I just get really overwhelmed really fast. And I put so much more priority on my work that has to get done than I do the house mm. that for me, I put off any house stuff until I'm done with my work stuff. And that drives Ricardo crazy mm. because for him, he needs the house like super clean and decluttered all the time. Yep. And I'm like, I'll get there when I get there. And and his point of view is, well, just do something small every day. But I prefer to take <laughs> one Ricardo day. And I yeah, to, Ricardo like, and you, you guys are would really do <laughs> well together. <laughs> we should wife swap. He would and I are in the middle like da 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 da. Because I I would rather take like one whole day and just like spend I'm hours doing or maybe everything. You and me, Emma, because I've yeah we. Uh, Great. I need someone that understands I, this. And Andrew and Jason can go off yeah. and do their own thing. That's, that's fine. But I feel like such a hypocrite because here I am saying these things. But like every time Ricardo forgets to turn off the bedroom light, I'm like, turn off the light. <laughs> so there are certain things that I yeah. that I know I need. Like yeah. I need the lights turned off. Yeah. That's really it. I just want the lights turned <laughs> off. That's really the only thing. This whole exchange between Jenny and Sloane. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. It, I could totally relate to both of them in this moment. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's what made it so incredible is I think probably all of us can relate to both these moments. Jenny just so desperately needs an answer mm-hmm. as to why Sloane wouldn't have acknowledged, as you put it, Emma, girl code. <laughs> why, right. why did Sloane do this to her? Right. Yeah, And I could totally feel for Sloane, too, who is in this horrible position where even she doesn't understand why she feels she needs to protect these men in her life. But she cannot tell Jenny why this happened. I had really complicated feelings about this Mm -hmm. moment. I had really complicated feelings about Sloane thinking it's kinder to keep the whole truth from Jenny. And on the one hand, I get it. She doesn't want to hurt her and make her feel worse than she already does. She doesn't want to upend Jenny's entire life. But on the other hand, if Jenny knew the whole truth, if she knew the details, if she knew that Wes's response to Sloane asking whether they should have Jenny join them was to just fuck Sloane right there and then, even when Jenny's name has just been brought up, mm-hmm. Jenny would probably leave his ass mm-hmm. and she'd probably hate Sloane even more. Yeah. This is not something she could recover from. So it left me wondering, like, which side... Which side of this line do you ladies fall on? Is it something that Jenny should know? Or is it kinder to keep the truth from her and let Jenny keep her family intact? I I think that there's no right answer for this one. This is such a toughie mm. of which way to go. Because like you said, Brandy, I can see where Jenny is coming from. And I can also see where Sloan is coming from. And what do you do in this type of situation? Like, what do you do? Then I started thinking again about Sloan having such a difficult time choosing the right way to go because she is always contemplating and like she she at one point says how she wakes up and look at, looks at herself in the mirror and basically like punishes herself for looking yeah. a certain way. So Ugh. there's already all this in her 
that it's hard for her to actually like make any decision and for someone to actually hate her more than she already seems like she's hating herself at the moment would be I think too much for her to kind of digest and I think that's why she ultimately chooses to protect herself in a way by not really giving Jenny all the details of what actually happened the way that I can answer this is putting myself in Sloan shoes And as I so embarrassingly divulged in our last episode, I was that other woman. Yeah. And I could never see myself telling her, Hmm. well, he told me that he really wasn't into you. That would make Hmm. it so much worse. Yeah. So I think she is doing the right thing by not telling Jenny all those details. I think... If Jenny wants to stay in her marriage, knowing what happened, I I think that that's between Jenny and Wes. I think that that's her decision based on the conversations that she has with him. I don't think that Sloan needs to dig Dig the nail in in, deeper. Or the knife, yeah. (laughs) Um, I think those details are just On the other hand, though, if Jenny knew them... Jenny might make a different decision for herself. But why hasn't she? Do you, do you know what I mean? It's like because Wes was yeah. also involved too. He cheated. Yeah. He cheated absolutely. and he's she's going after Sloane. Wes is Yeah, her, that is totally weird. It's yeah. Her, yeah, Wes it was, is her significant other. He's her partner. He yeah, is Yeah, go her, talk to him. Right. He's the father right. of her children. Like why wouldn't I get it. I get it. It takes two to tangle. I get it. And that's why she's going after Sloane, but Hopefully, I mean, I would hope that she that Wes is also a culprit. He the did yes. culprit. Wes yeah. is the bigger problem. Yeah. Yes, he's the one she's in a relationship. Yes, with. and he's the one she should be having the, those deep conversations with, and and then she can make her own informed decision based on those conversations. Yes. But yeah, I think it would just be too much. Uh, Jenny's already hurt. You don't have to exaster, 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 I always have a hard time saying that word. There's certain words. I'm with <laughs> this you. situation um, with all those extra details. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really tough because I feel like if it were if it were one of you, I feel like it it depends on who it is. You know what I mean? If it wasn't somebody that I was super close to, I feel like maybe I can see where I wouldn't want to div- divulge all the information. Maybe I don't think that's my place. But if it's somebody who I'm really close with and I know details, even if I am if I wasn't involved, if I know details about an infidelity that's going on, I can't see myself keeping that from one of you. You know what I mean? Mm. Like if I knew that one of your significant others had been up to something, I don't see myself being like, well, I don't want to hurt Mariana or I don't want to hurt Emma. Yeah. Like I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Like, mm, But we're no. good friends. They're not good friends. That's so yeah, true. I think that is an important distinction. And there's also the point that Jenny didn't was not so great to her at the beginning, like when she gathered all the other employees of the restaurant to kind of go against the decisions that Sloan and Richard had made. So there was also already like this sense of retaliation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that wasn't like a huge deal. I don't think that that warrants what happened. But right. They weren't off. They weren't off on a good footing. What I'm really curious about is. You know, I feel like I feel like in the last couple of episodes, well, actually from the very beginning, I feel like I've been saying 
I don't think Sloane does this this three-something. I don't think she does it for herself. I think she does it for Richard. And I feel like we've had some contention about that. Mm. And I wonder if... But I think if, I've changed my mind. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I wonder if in these final chapters, you guys still believe she's in it for herself. Have, have, have you shifted or are you still of the mindset that she's she does this for her? I've shifted kind of because before I was saying how... Oh. In a way, I was saying before that how could she be okay with being the submissive that he's the dominant one like how how could she be okay just like wanting to please him and not being not being fully fulfilled knowing that he's the one that's choosing her partners or that Mm -hmm. she's always being very like trepidatious or like weary about like how to go about it knowing Uh that it was really hard for her to first see him with another woman but then there's a quote at in the epilogue Sloane lies there afterward. And this is after they had some sort of altercation and then they finally have sex. Finally, Richard gives in to having sex with her. So Sloane lies there afterward, feeling not la petite mort, but the opposite, a fullness nearly. She knows that at the end of the day, aside from the health of their family and dearest friends, there is nothing more important than the fact that she wants her husband above all others and Mm. he wants her above all else yeah so for her this is what she ultimately desires and she he is he i don't think this situation i don't think the threesome is what makes oh no no exactly that he is what she ultimately desires the situation right exactly so your question is about the situation as a whole i just think that she is in it because she will be she will do whatever she can to please him because ultimately what she wants is richard is him yeah so if if richard wants this additional person every now and again she will compromise her desires and i don't mean to sound like i'm demonizing that or anything because i think we all do things for the people we love that maybe we're not always thrilled to do or whatever you know like of course course that's gonna happen i think what i took i think what i was questioning a little bit is that she it seemed to me like she was trying to fool herself Hmm. into thinking that it was something she wanted when i felt like this was actually something he wanted and she was just going along with it it's so funny because I was on the opposite side from both of you this whole time being like, no, 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 she's an equal partner and she wants this mm-hmm. and she's ferocious. And I feel like I actually shifted into feeling to being more on on your side of this. But it is interesting based on what you're saying because I do think that she really enjoyed her relations with, with Wes. For sure. And I don't yep. think that it was just because he was better than the other ones. I think she genuinely enjoyed being with yes. him. She was attracted to him, yeah. Yeah, and so if she's comfortable and confident in that, mm-hmm. then there does have to be a level, an element of of this that she actually really does enjoy. I agree with yeah, that. yeah. So I don't think that she's doing it just for Richard, but I do feel that she is less of an equal partner than I thought she was this whole time. I do. I'm not sure where this quote landed. I think it might have actually been towards the end of Maggie's chapters, but I wrote it down and I wanted to bring it up because it's kind of prescient right now. Mm. Uh, The quote is, even when women are are being heard, it is often only the right types of women who are actively heard. White ones, rich ones, pretty ones, young ones. Best to be all those things at once. 
And of course, I immediately felt the weight of this, particularly for black and brown women. Mm -hmm. But it immediately made me think of that horrific Wall Street Journal article that was circulating this weekend in which Joseph Epstein belittled the accomplishments of the soon-to-be first lady. Have you guys seen this article? I haven't. No. He asked her to drop the doctor from her title since she isn't an MD. Oh, that, yes. Oh, yeah. But instead, she holds a doctorate in education. He even calls her, (sighs) he goes so far as to call her kid. He's like, Jill, kid, do me a favor. Drop the doctor from your name. Yes. Uh, No, fuck you. (laughs) Jesus, in the year practically 2021 now, an entitled Mm -hmm. man with a lesser degree than hers, has the gumption to write something so ludicrous and a publication actually publishes it. Yeah. And there will be people out there who actually agree with him. Mm-hmm. Oh, there One of be. them, likely our current president. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. oh, and it sure. just made me feel like, you know, I totally agreed with, with the sentiment that if you're white and rich and pretty and young, you get a pass. Yeah. But Jill Biden is white and rich and beautiful and mm-hmm. she kind of has it all and mm-hmm. still still even she has to face this shit and i was like fuck man it just feels like this fight is never fucking ending you're right about that oh. i know the other thing that in your words brandy gutted me when when in the epilogue when lisa's mom is on her deathbed one of the final things that she says to her before she dies is don't let them see you happy. Other women, mostly. If they see you are happy, they will try to destroy you. Yeah. <sighs> and I know I've touched on that in an earlier episode, how sometimes I, I feel like I can't share my accomplishments or my mm-hmm. happiness with other women because I do I do feel a sense of judgment and I do feel like – guilty for sharing that especially with women that i know are not sharing the same story as mine you know mm-hmm. um i wonder if that's always going to be the case i mean did that resonate with either of you big time feeling like you can't share your happiness and your accomplishments and yeah. I, I wonder why that is with women and not with with men and women cuz i don't feel the same with men that is so weird I don't know if it's my own mindset. I've definitely had the thought before that I can't share certain things with certain people because not only will they not be happy for me, but then their bad juju mm-hmm. might spoil it and I might huh. end up losing this thing because of oh. their energy. Mm-hmm. So I can't huh. even, I can't let their energy poison me. That makes sense. But I don't know how much of that is actually true i don't know how much of it is actually Mm. if i tell some if i tell a woman she's going to feel ill will about it and i'll lose this thing i don't know if it's actually just that i have that in my head from when i was a kid or something and i just feel that but i feel it yeah and Mm. i definitely actively keep things Mm. quiet for the most part until they're real and then once they're real Mm -hmm. I'll share them. Mm -hmm. But if they're still in an incubation period, (laughs) not a chance Mm -hmm. because I do believe someone's bad energy will fuck it up. Sadly, I can totally resonate with that, (laughs) Brandy, with the whole bad juju thing. And we've spoken a lot about this, about envy and jealousy throughout the discussion of this novel and others. 
And Mm -hmm. the older I get and hopefully the wiser I get, (laughs) I have continued keeping victories to myself because of that fear. I fear that others won't celebrate with me. They rather they will try to diminish or tarnish what I've accomplished. I don't know if it has to do with the lack of trust, which basically is what you were saying, or simply that I give others too much power over how I feel. Because approval and acceptance from others has always been such a huge thing for me that I feel if I were to feel rejected, then my victory becomes obsolete. I did the artist's way during Mm -hmm. the lockdown. One of the things that the author said that stuck with me from that was that generally when we're really envious of something, it's because it's something that we want in our lives. So if we find that we're really envious of someone that says that they wrote something, then we probably deep down really want to write something and we feel like we can't. Mm -hmm. And so I remembered that. And so I tell myself when people are envious of that, it's because they want it. And I shouldn't feel bad bad about sharing that just knowing that they want it I think it's because we're empathetic people Mm. and we don't want people to feel bad that we have something that they don't have you know like like we are not better than but for me anyway it makes me feel like oh I'm sorry like I don't want to and I say rub it in your face even though that's not what we're doing but I don't want to make you feel bad or or remind you that you don't have this and so I'd rather just not share it Mm. so that you don't feel that way it's basically what this shitbag joseph epstein wants jill to do he's so sad he doesn't have a doctor exactly so he'd rather her not say not she say. Has right one. exactly fucked hard one last thing i wanted to say which we already sort of touched on but i wanted to bring it back The final sentence of the book I found so haunting of Aaron's photo on the school website, which we talked about as the new coach of the golf team. Mm -hmm. The book says he looks healthy and pleased as he stands beside the 15 girls, some of them brunettes, some of them blondes, a redhead or two. And this is what I don't understand about the argument that some people bring up in this book. It is said that Maggie might have been underage, but she clearly wanted it. Some people don't believe her at all and wonder why a good man's life should be ruined over some girl's claims. Parents and students and faculty overwhelmingly stood by this guy. But my thing is, even if you think we might never know the complete truth, even if you still think there might be a shadow of a doubt, you're literally wagering with the lives of young girls and young women for years to come for as long as he's a teacher and a coach. You're willing to wager with the lives of countless young women so that this man loses absolutely nothing. Nothing. And the most shocking thing of all of it is that so many of the people who supported him are women Mm -hmm. and they're women with daughters. Mm -hmm. They're themselves girls who could be his students. And I marvel all the time at at how much society mistreats women. But my God, what a revelation sometimes. How much we hate ourselves Mm -hmm. and how much we're taught to hate ourselves. Mm -hmm. It just broke my heart the way this book ended. Well... I don't know how to follow yeah, I that. Don't know how to follow that that's uh, that's a sad but a good place to leave this. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. And the only constant is that we die. 
Mm-hmm. Whoa. As Lisa says, you know, it ends with her mom dying. Right. It ends with her mom dying. Like that's that's the full, full cycle. cycle that we get. Mm-hmm. That's the bookends is that it starts You're with right. her mom and then it starts with her mom's mm-hmm. death. So like that's all we know. Mm-hmm. So for me, if we know that that's the truth, why don't we fucking live our lives to the fucking fullest while we can Yeah, and try to get rid of that doubt and shame and fear and, and doing just what we want. fucking live mm-hmm. for our one life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As three women. As three women. Oh. oh, shit. Cheers with the number oh, three. No, <laughs> yes. Three women with the number three. Cheers, ladies. I think Brandy's done with hers. Oh. I'm on to something new. Ooh. Oh. You changed too. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Who has a final question? Yeah, I'm Bring us home. Tunes. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Bring us home. I've been dying to ask this question. I think every episode, but I, I have to. <laughs> I have to end this. Three women needs to end here, since yes. kissing was such an important theme in this book, and it's such an important theme or part of intimacy. At least for me, it is. I want to know, and I want to know all the deets. Aside from your Ooh. husbands, briefly huh? describe a prince's bride most memorable first kiss. Mine comes a little full circle mm. because mine was with a boy who played my twin brother Whoa. in a play <laughs> when I was 10. <laughs> I had a huge crush on him, and at our cast party, he stuck a ring in our cake, and I found it, and then he, like, proposed to me, and then we had a fake wedding. Oh, my goodness. And we kissed, and I loved it. But then fast forward, like, 22 years, we reconnected. We hadn't seen each other since we were, like, yeah, maybe 10. <laughs> and we reconnected in our hometown. We were both home for some reason in Richmond. And we met at a coffee shop and we had an amazing date. And then I flew to Chicago to be with him. And we had we reignited our epic 10-year-old kiss. And it was really, really Ooh. sweet. Oh, my and then God. It was really, really not sweet. Because <laughs> then he ghosted oh. me. Oh, but it could have been very cute. But it's somewhat Lena esque because it's like you met when you were young, and then you went back, and it was... and then you went back. Yeah. Ew, it is weird. I don't think that's ew. That's weird. That was unfinished business. Yeah. And now it's finished. Yeah. Now it is very finished. I think it's fine. I have two that I want. Yay! Because I wanted to oh. say two too. So great. Look. My first one was with my college crush, who I was so absurdly in love with. And we had been sort of like flirting with each other for like a couple of years at this point. But it was always a situation where like he was with somebody or I was with somebody. And this one night we just ended up at the same sort of restaurant together with a bunch of friends or whatever. And we just drank way too much. And at the end of the night, 
I had to really pee, but we were already walking. And of course, his apartment was right there. Uh Mm. So I went up to his apartment to pee. And I I remember specifically, I went to pee. And when I came out, he was in his bedroom. And I'd never been in his apartment before, but he was in his bedroom. And we both just kind of stood in front of his bed for a minute. (laughs) And then we both just kind of laughed. And he kind of like nudged me over onto the bed. And we had this like amazing kiss that we had both clearly been waiting to have for like a solid couple of years. I'm feeling that one in my loins. It was hot. It was really hot. And there's a whole other story there. But my first kiss with Jason was hilarious. Jason and I knew each other for like eight years before we actually started dating. So we had been friends for all this time. And then we finally went on our first date, which neither of us knew was a date. The whole time we were both kind of like, is this, isn't it? I don't know. So we finally get down to the subway. We're going to go our separate ways. And I kind of just started cracking up and I was like, so what? Are you going to kiss me or like what's going to happen right now? And he was like, yeah, I, I guess I'm going to kiss you. I was planning to. So he goes into kissy and I just, you guys could not stop laughing because the situation was so absurd. Like we've been friends for so long. It just felt so weird. And I think we tried to kiss like three different times and I laughed every <laughs> single time i don't even think we ended up really kissing that night because i just couldn't stop laughing at how absurd the situation was <laughs> that is hilarious i love so that that was my first attempted kiss That's with my future husband <laughs> but it's funny that both of the ones you mentioned both of them started out with laughter so there's a lot of laughter in your life that's true <laughs> that's true there's a lot of humor in your life <laughs> Um, I'm going to try to do this very quick. My first one that I wanted to mention was when I was 15, the first kiss that I had with my ex that I have mentioned several times, Ricky. Um, It was one of those kisses that you could like see happening in like a (laughs) rom-com or like one of those like love stories. Oh my. So my best friend drives me over to his aunt's house where he was staying for the summer. We hadn't even started dating at the time. Like we were still like flirting and not knowing if anything was going to happen. She drives me over. We get into the pool. He gets two bottles of tequila. Tequila is like a, a beer. Pretty much. It was like this like tropical like lemon beer. Ew. I I was at a, <laughs> we had totally different reactions. I wasn't a big drinker back then. So I was like, ooh, beer. This is gonna this is gonna be fun. So we start drinking tequila, we're in the pool, his body's ridiculous. And then he starts like swinging me around like he grabs my arms and swinging me around in the pool like just like like I'm floating around and he's like swinging me and he brings me into his arms and he gives me the most passionate like kiss in the pool that I was just like okay so this is happening so that was pretty amazing and then the second (laughs) both of your faces I had a follow-up but I'll wait what's your follow-up I'll wait till I'll wait till another time I want to know if you did it in the pool. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I okay. was waiting for that. It, I, I was waiting for that. I waited until I was 18 with him. Okay. But I, right. I wasn't yeah. sure. I wasn't yeah. sure what the timeline was. Okay. And then the second one was also in college with um, the guy that I mentioned to you and the meteorologist, Dave Santana, that I had been pining over for a very long time. Do you guys remember oh, yeah. story? Yeah, yeah, yep. So yep. there was like kind of a room party like everybody was going to some dorm room and everybody was partying people started playing truth or dare his good friend knew that we were very much into each other and he decided to dare him whether or not he was willing to 
he dared him to kiss me in front of everybody. And he did. We, we started kissing in front of everybody in a dorm room. And that kiss probably lasted for like seven minutes or so. Like, I'm not kidding. Everybody was like, okay, oh. we need to leave them by themselves. Uh. It was the most... <laughs> <laughs> Did oh, you keep playing Truth or Dare after that? we kind of left by that point. <laughs> Everyone was like, this party sucks. Well, we left. They continued party. in the pool. No. That's <laughs> no, hilarious. But I will never forget that kiss. Like, that was a really... Wow. Yeah, that was really fun. Steamy. It is steamy. <laughs> I love it. I hope we're going to hear more of these stories next week. Oh. But Emma will tell you more yeah. about that in a moment. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. A big thank you to Jimmy Fontanez and Meteorite Productions, as well as Text Me Records for our music. Hey, y'all. <laughs> you just have two more weeks to get those reviews in. Come on, So y'all. that we can donate to the Putnam Northern Westchester Women's Resource Center. Help support yes. us so that we can help support this wonderful organization. Yes, please. And yes. let us know what you like and possibly don't like we three women want to hear from you yeah we do next week we have another bonus episode we're serving y'all a power half hour yeah that's right (laughs) we'll be drinking a shot of beer every minute for half an hour and powering through a series of surprising intimate questions to celebrate our end of the year wrap up. This means gasp, no cocktail pairing for our bonus (gasps) episode. I know, but pick your beer of choice so that you can play along with us. Continue following us on Instagram at drunk, you filthy animals (laughs) so that you can read along and sip along with us. Cause Cause it's always happy hour hour here. here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, chat, chicka, ladies. See you next time. Oh, yeah.